a candle for the devil. Ripping suspense as false virtues lead to a flood of crime. told us anything about your latest guest. What can I tell you, Beatrice? You know all about it. I don't know how I put up with it. One must earn a living, otherwise... A candle for the devil. What nice sisters. Pleasant, hospitable. But underneath, full of hate for life. They can kill without pity. Shameless hussy in my house. What's wrong? You have the cheek to ask, get up. Give me that. Get out of here. This isn't a whorehouse. Fascinating performances by Aurora Bautista and Esperanza Roy as the sisters. A child needs good examples to follow. And you couldn't even give him a father. You're so mad. Get out of the way. Wreaking vengeance in their house of terror. Directed by prize-winning Eugenio Martinez. Starring Judy Geeson. With Victor Winner. A candle for the devil. A sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality. The curse of the devil. Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. And welcome to episode 24 of the Beyond Nashi thread of podcasts here on the Nashi Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we're here again to talk about yet another possibly obscure Spanish horror film mm-hmm. from the golden age of Spanish horror. Um, I say possibly because, um, well, it's been released on Blu ray now. Yeah. And actually, it rang a bell for me uh, when I was just watching the opening credits of it. And I realized I'd seen this film before, or at least part of it. I didn't think I had, but it actually played on late night television uh, under an alternate title and, oh, yeah. and probably would have that same memory you probably might jog that same memory for people coming to view it now um, so yeah so yeah it's, it might not be as obscure as people think it is you might have actually seen this folks you might have actually seen this under its under its different title and mm-hmm. that title is what it was uh, put on American television mm-hmm. at least I never I never saw it on American television mm-hmm. where I saw it was uh, remember Sinister Cinema? Oh yes, good old Sinister okay. Cinema. Sinister Cinema was a uh, VHS and then later DVDR, kind of semi. I don't know if they'd call them a bootleg company or not. Mm-hmm. They were, they were, they were striding the line pretty hard. I don't even mm-hmm. know if they still exist. I don't, I don't uh, either. But man, I, I certainly got plenty of stuff from them. <laughs> oh yeah, but uh, Sinister Cinema. I remember seeing this 
uh, on a double feature videotape that I bought from them where they would recreate as it was a super long VHS tape and they would like recreate a drive-in, kind a drive-in of, yeah, double feature. Yeah, those cool. The drive-in double feature. Yeah, with, awesome. complete with trailers yeah, yeah, and, and you know the, the you know the food ads and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was and it, it was on one of those tapes that I bought from them a long time ago under the title "It Happened at Nightmare Inn," yeah. which is the title you may have seen it under. I'm sure it was because. Uh, I don't. I, again, I didn't really necessarily recognize that that title, but uh, in the first few minutes of this coming on, I think it played on uh, Channel Two. Would on Friday and Saturday nights would show horror movies real, real late, and I would try and stay up for them as much as I could. And, they, and I, my feeling is, film just because only the the, in, the beginning, maybe fifteen twenty minutes, seemed familiar. I suspect yeah. it was one of those cases where I tried to tried to hang with it. It was probably about two in the morning, and I tried to hang with it, and then just may have dropped off you know so uh didn't make it through didn't have a monster in it so you, you <laughs> yeah exactly it, right? <laughs> where's the giant monster snooze and snore <laughs> you know <laughs> just passed i was out. probably old enough that 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 some of the female flesh was was kept me my attention for but obviously it was a you know obviously it was a censored version so there was well, still some scantily clad stuff going on there yeah, you know? yeah. And, and you you know as everybody who watched late night television knows that sometimes things could Sometimes, sometimes things could things slip slid, past the sensors yeah. on. Uh, sometimes uh, things <laughs> slid by yeah, just yeah. Uh, just a smidge, uh, <laughs> which could be a little bit surprising to mm. say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should say this is uh, this the, the film is now better known under its uh, actual title, "A Candle for the Devil." Mm-hmm. Uh, it came out in 1973, which was you know 71, 72, and 73. Those are really man. Those are Wondrous just magic times, years. They magic they years were. for not just Spanish horror, but Euro horror and Euro thrillers mm. and. Euro crime films mm. in general. It was a really amazing number of years. Candle for the Devil fits right in there, mm. it being a very different kind of film from other things that we've talked about. And of course, something that I wouldn't have put together way mm. back when I was first seeing this on a VHS tape under a different title was that it was directed by Eugenio Martin, mm-hmm. uh, and it's the same fellow who directed another longtime favorite, Horror Express. Yes, one of our all-time favorites. Which is kind of weird because mm. uh, he's much more famous in general amongst film aficionados for having directed a lot of westerns. Yeah, and I'm, I don't. I think the only one of his. I don't. I don't know if this really qualifies as as westerns, but I, I think the only one of his films other than Horror Express and Candle for the Devil that I've seen is I have seen Pancho Villa. Oh, have uh, you? Yes, but, I've seen uh, I've seen Bad Man's River. Okay, okay, which yeah. is a Lee Van Cleef film, and I enjoyed mm. that. But uh, without pointing it out, I would not have thought, oh, this is the same guy who made, you know, Horror Express. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, well, well, it's very different in tone from Horror Express, that's for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, no, yeah, definitely so. But, I mean, what what I think is kind of amazing is, I, I wonder if there's um, any kind of interview, I need, I need to find out if there's any kind of interview out there with Eugenio Martin about his career, because he seems to have been, you know, uh, a guy who could pretty much handle anything he turned his hands to. I mean, he, he yeah. seems to have spent a lot of his time in the western genre mm-hmm. but you know we <laughs> two horror films and both of them are excellent I would love to see him have seen him do more horror films I wish he had yeah, yeah. When did you first see A Candle for the Devil, by the way? Oh, this would have had to have been in probably the late 70s, I so would guess. Just it's a, probably the, like that, that mm, almost just in that general, in the 70s? Exactly, yes. Would have been television? It. Mm-hmm. That's when, and I have not, and again, I've, that would have been the last time because I really thought that I had not seen this film at all until I began to sit down and actually watch it and it just kind of clicked to that whole opening sequence there for sure. I was just like, oh, I remember this vividly now. You know, that's, well, this, this whole is, setting, yeah. that Spanish setting, the two sisters and... You know, and 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 and, uh, and and their encounter with their first shameless hussy that's uh, staying with them there. You know, it's just uh... <laughs> well, we should we should probably uh, 
take note of, uh, 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 or at least take a break here, just a moment, so that we can we can slide into talking specifically sure. about the the uh, the entire the entire story, the entire plot. Because uh, I want to warn everybody up front that uh, we are going to spoil big chunks of this film. So if you've not seen A Candle for the Devil, and it is a bit of a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's not, you don't think it's necessarily got any any little surprises mm-hmm. to play mm-hmm. until you get to the end and you realize that it's played a couple of little tricks on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to warn you that I'm not sure if we'll spoil like all of the neat little things that happen at the end but i have the feeling we might spoil at least one or two of them so what my recommendation would be is to seek out a copy of a candle for the devil which is uh readily available on uh, blu-ray from uh um scorpion i believe yeah scorpion releasing uh which you can find on the website ronin ronin flicks i know you can get it there for a really good price probably available on amazon as well there might even be a an illegal copy of the the American version, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. happened at Nightmare Inn somewhere on YouTube, but I haven't mm-hmm. gone looking for that uh, because uh, I think this is a good film. I think you're going to find it mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the normal thing. There, mm-hmm. taint, taint no drooling monster in this one. No, taint no glowy eyed zombies. <laughs> so uh, a different kind of thing. But um, I, I don't think we have any uh, any other news or anything weird to discuss. Nope. Nothing, nothing too odd. Yeah. So I think what we'll do is take a quick break here, and then we'll come back and uh, we'll dive into uh, running through the the plot and discussing the fantastic mm-hmm. and uh, rather attractive cast of this mm-hmm. entire film. Yeah. Prepare for a spine tingling, nerve shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here, your host Derek M. Cook and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Monster Kid Radio. All right, fellas, here's your story. Greetings, my friend. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Wait, Captain. I have found evidence of intelligent beings on this planet. Look to the skies. It's the B-Movie Cookbook. Menus inspired by 15 of your favorite B-movies from the 1950s. With teenage werewolves, blobs, and enough cheese for everyone. When we return to our planet, the High Court may well sentence you to torture. But until then, we've got Ed Wood and Vincent Price. There'll be food and drink and ghosts, and perhaps even a few murders. You're all invited. So impress your friends with dinner and a movie with the B-Movie Cookbook. We've got you covered. Get your copy today at bmoviecookbook.com. That's bmoviecookbook.com. Let me see that book. I am interested to see what sways your mind so heavily. Sure thing. Just visit bmoviecookbook.com. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a serialized monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror films. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, 
Manos, The Hands of Fate, and the original chill role-playing game. My goal is to recreate the thrills of the Monster vs. Monster films that we all love. We'll have vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, and scheming madmen. And that's just in the first storyline. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors and other monster stories sent directly to your email for as little as a dollar a month. For just $2, you'll get all the chapters in advance, plus bonus stories and other perks. Sign up now at CushingHorrors.com or visit SDSullivan.com for a Patreon link. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. Please come again and remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. A Candle for the Devil, 1973 Spanish horror film directed by Eugenio Martin, uh, with an excellent cast of female actors. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, we'll get into them as we run through the plot. film takes place in contemporary times, 1973, in mm. Spain. Mm. Um, I, I guess we should preface this a little bit, just so that you have a little bit of knowledge. Not that it's necessary to enjoy or to watch or enjoy the film, but this is a very interesting time in Spain. Uh, it was in the 1960s when uh, the... Um, not necessarily failing, but uh, kind of ailing Spanish economy uh, caused the uh, the dictator of Spain, General Franco, to open Spain up a little bit. It had been really closed mm-hmm. down once he had taken over after the Spanish Civil War in the 30s. Um, but the the need for money, the need for tourist mm. di- tourist dinero, yeah. um, caused them to open this, the the country up a little bit. So. Uh, taking trips to Spain, becoming a tourist in Spain, became something that was a pretty regular event mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for uh, European tourists of all types. So in this movie, we see some some uh, British tourists visiting. We see a Dutch tourist visiting. Mm-hmm. And uh, this just seems to be the way things were going in Spain. It became a place. And not just because Spain you know, had a lot of beautiful beaches, which mm-hmm. you know would cause people to seek that out on vacation naturally enough. But just because Spain was probably one of those places you could visit that was kind of a bit mm-hmm. like a time capsule, time capsule, which is kind of the reason why I would like to visit Cuba at this point. Sure, so, sure. You know. Well, you get this opening scene, which in a way is kind of necessary because it's so short and brief. But I guess in context of that, it is kind of making that point because what we see, the very first thing we see is this gloomy, misty yeah. city. shot of the city, which I guess is supposed to be London because that's where I guess that's where our protagonist yeah. is coming from. Uh, but it's so short, you know, and then it just immediately cuts to sunny kind of, you know, Spain. Spain, which, as you said, you know, this village that looks like it's just out of another time. Uh-huh. And, of course, that I know for you and me, you just it's like instant love of I mean, you were just instantly in that mode, you know, in that Spanish. I mean, right. as soon as you see a town like that with those kind of streets, you know, all these movies we've watched so much that, have, that that we've seen that kind of scenery in. 
Oh, we're, we're there. Well, it's, I would say that I would I would say one thing that opening shot. Yeah, it only lasts a few mm-hmm. seconds, mm-hmm. but I think it's there for good reason because what you're describing is as misty. What I was seeing was polluted. Polluted. Well, okay. Yeah, so I can see. I thought you. that was setting up a contrast, especially mm-hmm. especially in that the shot of mm-hmm. what appears to be London mm-hmm. seems to have been a shot kind of at dusk or at night. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a bluish, darkish. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a filter over it, mm-hmm. it looked like a very polluted city. And then the next shot is in mm-hmm. Madrid, you know, of the Madrid airport, sunny, and it's yeah. sunny and bright, sunny, clear Madrid. Yeah, very clear. It is. It's a very sharp contrast being drawn in the first minute of the film. Yeah, and and how cool is it that uh, this thing you're talking about, this thing in the culture, this thing in Spain that was going on at the time about opening its doors to tourists, provided, uh, I guess, a uh, um, great material for beginning horror films for the people making films there because yeah. I was just put in mind of so many not not that all of these are Spanish but uh, the whole thing of the bus arriving right we've seen that in so many films you know that start off that way you know I call it the cannon fodder line bus line cannon fodder bus line there you know you're you're immediately making me think of eyeballs well that see that was on my list I just kind of came off with the top of my head of things that I that we've seen this kind of beginning to Uh, who can kill a child was one oh yeah of course eyeball of course Uh, um, this is not a Spanish film but the devil's nightmare starts that way and another one vampire's night orgy all of these begin with with the the busload of of tourists coming in you know, uh, not knowing, not knowing with the fate that awaits them. You know, but it's but, but <laughs> the horrors that are about to. In- <laughs> but but when this happened, it gave all these filmmakers there, and and, and you know the kind of just basic. Uh, okay, there's the beginning of my film. I see all these tourists every day coming in. You know, right. and and, uh, and and what? Well, I think that very much so. This film, this this is a very Spanish film, in that this is very much about. The clash of cultures between oh, yeah. the repressed, mm-hmm. you know, not to not to spell it all out. Although the film does a really good job of almost just literally spelling it out, it out as clearly as I'm about to say it. Right. This is a clash of cultures between a very repressive culture that's been mm-hmm. shut off from mm-hmm. the rest of the world for decades at this point, mm-hmm. and the kind of mental inbreeding that that yeah. might cause, mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. definitely does cause. Mm-hmm. And then being slammed into nineteen, you know what what I, what I would refer to as like representatives of like swing in London in nineteen seventy three. This is a very you know very different culture. I mean, we're talking you know mini skirts and hot pants versus a very very buttoned up, uh, stayed, uh, and you know I've used the word repressed. I mean, it might, it might even be a bit. There might even be a stronger way to put it than that because these are people who might not necessarily react very nicely mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> to having yeah. their way of life maybe sneered at or looked down upon by mm-hmm. people who are just there to, you know, mm-hmm. kind of gawk at them like they're people in a zoo. Yeah. And who see them as quaint, you know, or like yeah. a yeah. Yeah. There are a number of points where uh we we see um in the in this small Spanish village somewhere outside of Madrid, we do see a lot of shots of uh, like the tourists, various and sundry tourists, interacting mm-hmm. with people who are you know obviously real people who mm-hmm. live in that town, mm-hmm. and they seem to be in, you know they seem to be enjoying themselves with you know the the, mm-hmm. the locals seem to yeah. be enjoying themselves with these tourists and things of that nature, but at the same time. We're also at that point. We never, we never hear conversation with those other people, the older ones or the younger ones, really, yeah. uh, about uh, their thoughts on this. The only things we're shown are just kind of the, vis- the the visuals of how they're going about their day and how they're interacting with these tourists when we yeah. have those shots. Right. And then um, 
what we're what we're really getting is this contrast between the middle-aged main characters, the two mm-hmm. old, the two middle-aged sisters who run this uh, hostel or inn mm-hmm. uh, there in this small town, and um, their rather unfortunate reactions <laughs> to having their way of life interfered with might be yeah. the best way to put mm-hmm. it. Um, having the choices. Well, I don't want to go that far. Hold on, I'll, I'll go into that as we get into the film a little bit more. But here's the weird thing: before we get into the to yeah. the scene by scene synopsis of this, here's what uh, my memory of this film, having seen it a few times over the years before mm-hmm. I sat down to watch this, and I did just re- I think I watched it just last year once I got the Blu-ray. Um, my memory of it was that it was a little bit more subtle in drawing these lines between the old conservative mindset of mm-hmm. the middle-aged sisters mm-hmm. and the very young, you know, very uh, um, progressive, one might say, um, sexually liberated is yeah. probably the best term yeah. for these for the, for these mm-hmm. other women, especially the character played by Lone Fleming. Yeah. My memory was that that line was drawn much more subtly than the film does. The film, I wouldn't say it kind of clubs you over the head with it, but it's definitely putting your face in it. Yeah. And I think that there's a reason for that, which is that I think that at certain points, uh, the the choices made to do that are are evidently to put us in the position that to, to kind of see why these sisters are having such a harsh reaction at certain points because mm-hmm. their faces are kind of being shown. That's how they feel. Is that mm-hmm. this is being mm-hmm. you know this this isn't a subtle thing to them. Mm-hmm. This is a very overt mm-hmm. uh, thing that they can't seem to escape from, even when they put a. Uh, uh, a happy face on it when they make certain assumptions that they then con- that later then become contradicted they still seem to be able to uh, fall into that that shock of having you know this you know scantily clad woman walking around and having a good time and just you know it's not it's not hard to draw that line between uh, you know why are, why are they so angry um, because the film spells it out pretty clearly and some, sometimes it's subtle and sometimes mm-hmm. it's overt mm-hmm. uh, because both of these women really kind of feel as if that kind of a life was denied them. Yeah, they're both very conflicted in, in separate in, in different ways yeah. from each other. They're, they're, you know, this is this is also causing conflicts with they're having they're war, kind of waging a war inside themselves yeah. with other aspects of their personality. And kind of this whole opening quote from Pascal, you know, that starts the whole film, yes, yes. kind of sums up the whole, or in a lot of ways, the, the two of the underlying themes are both hypocrisy and also self-delusion, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, uh, um, and uh, that of people's idea of themselves not being exactly really what their true self is and, and being in, having an internal conflict with that that then manifests itself as a rage against the things that, 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 that kind of shove that conflict they're having yeah. in their face, as you yeah. said. So now that we've uh, pointed out that we've maybe overthought this film just a tad, let's go <laughs> ahead and talk. That's our job. That's our job. Let's go ahead and talk about <laughs> the plot. Okay, so uh, we, we've pointed out that the, the film starts, um, we, we have two middle-aged sisters named Marta and Veronica running an inn or a hostel in a Spanish village for travelers. This is how they make their living. Mm-hmm. Um, May is a British guest right at the beginning of the film. She's She's been staying there a few days. Mm-hmm. And uh, because there is a bit of a commotion uh, mm-hmm. upstairs, the sisters go upstairs mm-hmm. to discover what's going on. And they find that some of the, some of the local boys 
are watching May sunbathe mm-hmm. topless, although mm-hmm. she's you know she's not flashing them. She's just unhooked mm-hmm. yeah. her bathing suit top right. in the back, so she doesn't have a, a tan mm-hmm. line on her back. Mm-hmm. Um, you know they're hooting and, and calling to her, and so they come up, they come up there and both well Marta most especially is very very mm-hmm. upset by this and calls her uh, some rather uh, nasty names. Mm-hmm. And uh, tells her that she's going to immediately toss her out. When the sisters confront her, this is when it becomes very clear what what's going through their minds because they, like I say, especially Marta, she really spells it out. Yeah. They put these, these they put this immediately in religious context. Yeah. These are remember this was a, a Spain was an incredibly Catholic country mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, that religion was, to the best of my knowledge, re- that religion was used by the the government to kind of help keep mm-hmm. their thumbs on. The uh, the emotions and the the uh, the, the the kind of uh, to keep society in in in, in rain mm-hmm. to uh, to a large degree, which you know isn't a real surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 three of them get into a, a really heated argument, and May uh, either is stumble she either stumbles and falls mm-hmm. down the stairs, mm-hmm. or, or she's kind of her, yeah, or yeah. Marta pushes her. It's really kind of mm-hmm. it's it's six of one, half a dozen of another mm-hmm. to a degree. Mm-hmm. Because Marta is definitely angry at that mm-hmm. point, but at this point, we don't think that what happens though either of us. I think it's what Marta intended. No, to we th- we think it was an accident. Right? Yeah, it seems to really have been an accident. Uh, well, she falls down the staircase, smashes through a, uh, a stained glass window, which, when it breaks, slashes her across her throat and kills her. Mm-hmm. Now, um, immediately, I mean, just as quickly as we can say it, Marta. Veronica's horrified. Mm-hmm. The younger, mm-hmm. the younger of the yeah. two, played by Esperanza Roy, is horrified. Mm-hmm. But Marta is immediately finding a reason for this to be okay. Yeah. And the stained glass window, the part that uh, mm-hmm. cut her, cut the cut May's throat, cut the young girl's throat, is actually a piece of the stained glass window that has the the saint holding a sword. And I forget which saint it is now. Yeah. But the blood is dripping yeah. from the sword. And she takes this as a sign mm. that this was actually divine intervention. This is God mm. Mm. Uh, taking a hand in this situation and killing this sinful creature. Yeah. And I love that visual idea. I mean, I think as we go through this film, there's some places I'll point out where that I think... Yeah, overall, you know, overall, I don't think this film doesn't necessarily tell... A new story or new, you know, tell like a whole bunch of new ideas, but I think that it has some really nice ways of depicting yep. what it's telling and doing visual things. And this is one thing I love: the piece with the the part with the stained glass with the with the sword, because if she's already that close to the edge and looking for divine, you know, consolation and condonement of what she's doing, you yeah. know, then it then you know that's just right there shows you how that just gets into her head and how she would use that. You know. One of the things I'm always um I wouldn't, I wouldn't say impressed, but one of the things that I'm always appalled by when I run across it in a, in a narrative, which is just watching someone, some, watching someone find a way to use their religious beliefs to justify whatever hideous thing they've yeah. done. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you don't have to look too far these days mm-hmm. for that kind of thing. But it's really interesting to watch how no matter what happens throughout mm-hmm. this film... Mm-hmm. Marta finds a way for it to be just exactly what should have happened because 
Obviously, this is what God wanted, which is is the same argument as, well, you know, God clearly wanted my brakes to go out and to run run into your car. And I'm (laughs) sorry for you, but that's just the way God wanted it. Yeah. Yeah. Her feeling is like, if God doesn't like this, he'll do something about it. Otherwise, we're okay. You know, so. (laughs) Yeah, I know. And that's her that's her whole argument to her sister, which is, yeah, if we get caught, we, we, you know, we'll 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 know we weren't righteous in this respect. And then we go on. So um, um, as Martin Veronica scrambled to hide the body. Uh, which is the moment in the film when you realize, oh, hmm. oh, oh, okay, hmm. so they're they're willing to go that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go to hide the body. Uh, her sister Laura arrives at the end looking for May mm-hmm. right after they've done away right. with this woman the same day. Yeah, yeah. Um, now uh, the uh, the sister Laura is played by Judy uh, Judy Judy Jason. Mm-hmm. It's Jason. Is it Jason? So yeah, Jason. I've now okay. seen two interviews with okay. her in the past cool. week. Okay, good to know. Because, I, yeah, I know. And so she's like, you know, just a few years ago, sitting mm-hmm. down for these interviews, and she says her name, and I'm like, well, thank God. Now I know how it's, okay. it's pronounced yeah. Jason. Okay, cool, cool. Which yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, I didn't either. I thought it was Jason, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, I watched, we watched uh, this and Doomwatch. Oh, the, did you? The 1972 film. Mm-hmm. Back to back, and it's like, we had... It's like, over the course of two nights, it was like, ah, well, a little a little movie marathon. Judy Jason. Judy Jason. Well, thing, looking back, she's one of those actresses that when I saw her name, you know, I, I, I knew that I had seen her in things before, and I was having trouble remembering which ones they were. But looking back over her filmography and in mm-hmm. the very nice interview that's on on, the, on this Blu-ray, um, I realized that, yes, there are some things that I have seen her in. There's a lot more things, a lot more films that I've heard of and have wanted to see for a lot of years that, right. that she's in, you know, that I, that I want to. Uh, uh, poor thing wasn't in Seminoid, but, you know. <laughs> I was about to say, that's, that's, that was my point of entry. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh-huh. That was yes, my, okay, uh, I yes, wanted to get that uh, joke well, in there, make say, sure everybody heard it. Well, I was going to say, was she in the film, the Inseminoid, or was the Inseminoid in her? her. Sorry, Judy, it's just, yeah, uh, I know yeah, you've heard yeah. these before. But. Sorry, sorry, that, I wanted to get that bad joke in there. Yeah. And of course, yeah. you had your own bad joke. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Inseminoid was where I think I first it ran across It probably her. was. Uh, or it may have been. Probably was been, for me, too. Um, it may, yeah, it, pro- it probably was, uh, but she's well. I know I'd seem to start with love. Also, growing up, they show that on well, TV yeah, all the that, time. Yeah, and, but, but that's, that's a very much. She's so young in that. Yeah, it's, it's, that's a, that's a very di- that's a very different mm-hmm. uh, a very different kind of film, and it's not something. It's it's very much a, an ensemble cast, and I don't know that I would have picked mm-hmm. her out of it oh, to yeah, remember. Yeah. You know, you got Sydney Poitier, and mm-hmm. that's pretty much mm-hmm. kind of overshadows all my memories of that film. Mm-hmm. Well, there are several films. Uh, for a moment, I thought she was in a particular Norman J. Warren film, but I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a number of other films. I I want to see Goodbye Gemini eventually. That's yeah. a film that I've never Me seen, too. and I think now it's readily available. I think there's a Blu-ray of it, but it's just one of those films that I've known about for years and never seen. And I have never actually seen Fear in the Night. That's one that I've always always wanted to see. That that's got, a good got film. Peter Cushing in it, and yeah, Joan and Collins, Ralph Bates, uh, and yeah. So that's yeah, I've wanted yeah, to yeah. see that one. The uh, Fear in the Night's actually a pretty good little film, and she she has an excellent role in it. Come mm. to think of it, mm. uh, Miss Miss Geeson uh, was uh, quite adept at uh, pr- portraying uh, fear yeah, on yeah, screen. Yeah, I don't know if that's just because we're so used to it. I think that's what makes Inseminoid so weird. Is that's that was my entry point for seeing her, and in that film, mm. you know, there there are moments at the beginning where she's she's fearful, and then she's you know essentially the villain for the rest of the yeah, picture, yeah. which is really really weird when you think about this. Petite little blonde yeah. woman. She seems like just the classic sweet little British girl. Exactly. It just doesn't seem to fit. And and she's she's the good girl in this. She's she she is the good girl she, in this because she wears pants because she had <laughs> because she wears, buttons up and wears her yes. shirt buttoned up. There's absolutely no skin ever no. seen from her in this film. So she's the good girl. 
Well, uh, Marta tells uh, Laura, that's the character Miss hmm. Jason plays, that uh, her sister checked out and paid her bill earlier that day. Uh, Laura's a little puzzled by this because she was supposed to meet her sister mm. here. The whole mm. idea was for the two of them to meet here and stay here and then spend their vacation together. Okay. Laura decides to take a room there until she can find May because maybe May will come back or she's puzzled that she didn't leave a note or leave any message or anything. It's at this point in time when Helen Miller, mm-hmm. who's described as a Dutch uh, a Dutch tourist, mm-hmm. shows up, um, played by Lone Fleming. <sighs> I was going to say, why couldn't the bus ever unload Lone Fleming in my neighborhood? You know, I never got that. (laughs) You dirty-minded man. Uh, Lone Fleming, for those of you who don't remember, was in the first two Blind Dead films. Uh, An absolutely gorgeous actress Mm -hmm. and one who is... Still, still around today, yeah. and still, yeah. still, still doing things, and still vital and alive, and and thank goodness for that, because Lord knows so many of these mm. people are, have not passed on years later, and still married to. Oh, is she still married? Eugenio Martin. Oh, I did not realize that they got married in 1970, and as far as I can tell, now I mean, unless that you know, again, I don't know what information is online or not, but I did not see information about the two of them being divorced, and you know, unless I missed something. From what I can learn, she uh, did marry Eugenio Martin, the director of this film, in uh, uh, sometime in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why in 1978 she backed away from the film business uh, and didn't really return to the film business until just a few years ago, I guess just because she felt like she wanted to. Yeah, yeah. Although she did turn up in uh, The Last Kamikaze, the Nashi film. Yes, that's right. Sure. Yeah, sure was. Uh, that that appears to have been something. I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I would love... Oh, has... Uh, you know, we should know why she ended up in Last mm-hmm. Kamikaze after really kind of backing away from mm-hmm. from her career. But uh, your Nashi your Nashi cast podcasters have failed you. Yes, we did not uh, in this respect. We cannot provide you that information right off the top of our heads, and, I, and for that, I apologize. Yes. I blame Troy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm supposed to set the research details for this. Aren't I? Yes, I'm to set the research uh, uh, yes uh, agenda. So. <laughs> Well, Helen Miller, this indecent woman, <laughs> checks into the inn uh, the following day. Uh, the sisters are a little appalled by her immediately yeah. because yeah. Yeah. Um, scantily clad, thy name is Lone Fleming in mm-hmm. this film. 
Um, and plus, she just enjoys herself, I think, is oh, putting yeah. it mildly. You know? this, she lets this, you know that by jumping into the fountain the minute she gets off the bus. Gets off the bus, a, yes. <laughs> the, the, fount, the fountain in, the, in yeah. the, what appears to be like the square of the uh-huh. town, yes. And, and, and if you're thinking this is to symbolize Fountain of Youth, uh, you know, no, no. no that's a Doubt little heavy-handed. That, that's mean, kind come of, on. that's a little too on the nose for this film. There's no <laughs> way there's any symbolism in this film. Not we'll get to more religious yeah. symbolism later in the film. Yes, Hang loose. <laughs> there's, there's a fair amount. Uh, but I never felt I never felt the symbolism the, the symbolism never beats you over no, the head. No, 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 no. I agree. No, I, I, yeah. I don't think so. I think the bloody sword mm. is the only moment that's, where yeah. there's a. I mean, and, and that's done for effect. Mm. That's mm. that's done to draw that bright red line between yeah. madness and and, mm. and sanity. Mm-hmm. And these sisters kind of it, it's it becomes clear right then that these sisters mm. are kind of teetering on the edge of yeah. that particular line. Um, well, uh, this is where we learn, and this is this is great. The the sisters do have one person who helps them out around the inn. It's a it's a younger man, uh, mm-hmm. late teens, early twenties. I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah. Uh, named Lewis, who uh, helps them. He chops firewood for mm-hmm. them. He, he he helps out with the you know taking taking food to the to the uh, to the inn dwellers occasionally. Um, things like that. He does different things, kind of a, a general fix it and helper around the place. And uh, there's this there's great little scene. As soon as we're introduced to him, he's out. He's chopping wood out behind the inn, in kind of the backyard, little, little courtyard there. And uh, Marta, the older of the two, goes to call to him to get him to do something. And for just a moment, just mm-hmm. stares at him rather appreciatively. We'll say uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> appreciatively. Yes, good choice of words yeah. there. <laughs> And then she controls herself and then has Lewis mm-hmm. do what, what he's supposed to do, which I think was at that point to carry food up to mm-hmm. uh, uh, Laura. Mm-hmm. And um, it's right after this that we learn that uh, Veronica is also fond of Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, Lewis is also fond of Veronica yes. because mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we see Veronica uh, slip off mm-hmm. and visit Lewis at his, in, his, uh, in his apartment. Mm-hmm. And uh, they are clearly having an affair. They've been having an affair for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Now, understand that Veronica, the younger of the two sisters, uh, described by one online wag as the milfier of the two, <laughs> I couldn't resist. I no, really that couldn't. is a good. That is a yeah. Uh, she, um, she's. Uh, I would. I would say also the saner of the mm. two. Yeah. Uh, played by Esperanza Roy. And uh, she's uh, a, a pretty woman. She is clearly a woman who has reached middle age. I'm mm-hmm. saying late 30s, early yeah. 40s. Mm-hmm. A few years younger, maybe two to three, maybe four or five years younger than her older mm-hmm. sister, Marta. And um, it's at this point when you realize that she's carrying on this relationship with Lewis. Mm-hmm. And Lewis, this is not some thing. We're, we're quickly disabused of the thought that you might have that this is a an older woman taking advantage of a younger man. The, this 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 boy is very happy with her. Very yeah. very much. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely wants to her. be yeah. in the relationship that he's in. Right. Which is very sweet because mm. he's he's clearly a good guy. Mm. Uh, but you know there is at least a two decade difference mm. maybe between the mm. two of them. The, the, mm. She's definitely mm. older than him by a, a good stretch. And it's at this point, I think their scene is really well played out. Oh, it it's is. Just, I think it's very well handled. Very well, very interesting the way it's filmed. There's at times, yes. it's, there's at times it's erotic. And then other times it's almost kind of, un- 
like awkward in a way, you know, mm-hmm. like, but in a good, but like in an effective way, like between them, you know, there's, there's just a yeah. lot, you know, and, and, and I like the way that whole scene is, is filmed. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, uh, both of them, both of them are naked. This mm-hmm. is, this is a scene where, with both actors are, are nude playing the scene together. And it seems, it feels very natural. It film it feels mm-hmm. very much like two people who really do care for each other. And mm-hmm. Veronica starting to have some concerns and at first in the film, I think that you're starting. You, you think that you think that she's the concerns that she's starting to have are that, um, well, they just mm-hmm. hid the body of yeah. an accidentally killed tourist in their place. Yeah. But as the movie cr- goes on, you begin to realize that uh, there are other concerns on her mind as well, which is that age difference between mm-hmm. the two of them. And I think mm-hmm. those two concerns finally kind of coalesce in the third act of the film, where she tries to she tries to get Lewis. To, to leave the town, to, to leave, mm-hmm. because she doesn't want him to find out what she fears paints her as a horrible person. Mm-hmm. And by that point in the film, maybe it does. Well, and by that point in the film, she also may be worried about him, too, about his life. Yeah, <laughs> That's kind there, of the impression I that, got, too. <laughs> because if, Mar- if Marta, if her older sister mm-hmm. ever found out that the two of them were carrying on this yeah. lustful, <laughs> sinful affair, yeah. Lord only knows what yeah. might happen. I like the fact that in this scene, one of the things that that makes you realize very concretely that Lewis is not interested in this older woman for some kind of gain is that she's been actually stealing money from the inn to mm-hmm. give to him yeah. so that he has money yeah. or more money than you know than he would just earn by doing what he does around the inn. Mm-hmm. And he says to her repeatedly, "I don't, I don't want that yeah. money. I don't yeah. need that money. That's not why you know that he's mm-hmm. trying to get across to her very clearly. This is." This is unnecessary. Yeah. But then by the end of the film, but that's another piece of information you pick up on, which is the reason she wants him to have this money is so that he can leave, so that he get can out get of, out of right. this small town and go somewhere else. Go. She actually, at one point later in the movie, specifies go to Madrid, go to the you know go mm. to the big city and have yeah. a life. And um, I think it's very, I think I think it's very sweet the, to watch this uh, middle-aged woman start to have that. Mm-hmm. That creeping realization that 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 she can't ignore anymore that this young lover of hers is someone that she would it would be cruel of her to continue to have a relationship with, yeah. Yeah. regardless of the horrors mm-hmm. that are going on yeah. outside right. of their control. Right. But this sequence is also very important to introduce another idea mm-hmm. that should now pop up into your head if it hasn't already, mm-hmm. is that simple question of. Why are these two women spinsters? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why are these two women mm-hmm. unmarried mm-hmm. and living together and running this business together? And the film doles out little pieces of information as it goes yeah. along. Yeah, I like the way it holds back. Yeah, because it, it, because on... because this scene definitely points to the fact that well, Veronica is clearly a uh, a woman with normal sexual urges, mm-hmm. normal mm-hmm. sexual desires, mm-hmm. uh, has gone out of her way mm-hmm. to have this affair and hide it from her sister. Mm-hmm. And then, why is she, you know why is she unmarried? Mm-hmm. Why is her sister unmarried? And it becomes more and more of a question as things go on, and we get little tidbits of information. We find out that Marta, uh, years before, was left at the altar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the story is that the man that she was going to marry ran off with some other woman. Not just some other woman, but a woman who was A, foreign, and B, a modern woman with quotations. Yeah. Quotation marks around yeah. that, yes. Yeah. Which, if this is 1973, that would be 
let's let's put it mm. ten years mm. earlier. Yeah. In other words, maybe, maybe even twelve, mm. right around the time that Spain was being opened up to foreign tourists mm. because mm-hmm. of the needs mm-hmm. the needs to get more money pumped mm. into Spain. Mm. There is where that combination of elements, those those things where this this thing that we need to, to make to, to keep our country alive and mm-hmm. vital mm-hmm. is also something that can kill us, that can take things from us, that can that can, can that can uh, destroy our lives. Mm-hmm. And it's that that split, that dichotomy. I think that's something that she's working out in her own head on a very individual level, mm-hmm. and that she can't really cope with effectively, yeah. except through just repressing it. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, there's a there's a scene right here at this point in the film where we see Marta mm-hmm. dress up in this old dress, and we realize yeah. she she lets her hair down, mm-hmm. she puts on she puts on some makeup, she's in this dress, and we realize that well, first of all, let's mm-hmm. let's state up front that the actress playing uh, Marta Aurora uh, Batista, ba- Batista mm-hmm. um, she's a she's a middle aged lady, and she's mm-hmm. still an attractive lady. Yeah, and the movie at t- takes pains at times to make her look. Uh, less attractive than she mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. They did the same with uh, Esperanza Roy as well. Sure. But that's an attractive lady. Mm-hmm. I don't care if she's in her 40s oh, or, yeah, yeah, or if definitely. she's in her 50s. Yeah, she's are, a pretty yeah. lady. Right. And it's in this scene when you see it, where mm-hmm. the film mm-hmm. wants you to, ign- to, to know it mm-hmm. and also uses that introduction of this woman's kind of let's call it repressed sexuality to show you that this is someone who did have that, who does actually have that. Mm-hmm. And that is something that can cause a problem. And the, and we're also getting those bits of information about mm-hmm. being left at the altar mm-hmm. and things that she keeps saying, give us the idea of just how she thinks about the world and how she thinks about her place in it and mm-hmm. why she sees herself as someone who has been taken advantage of, as you say, yeah, by a you know a foreign woman a foreign hussy you know and so and I think maybe we're sort of left to assume that Veronica is there really maybe out of loyalty more than 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 yeah. a lot of you know because Veronica simply by the fact that she maybe has found a love of some kind in her life there she right. is the one who is a little more I think comfortable with with herself or at least and and that makes her less angry at the rest of the world. And so she's the one who's been kind of the voice of, of trying to be the voice of reason or has the one who has the conscience here. But I think that that's maybe why she has also, as you said, a spinster is because she has possibly stayed with Marta. Marta's obviously the kind of dominant, you know, older sister of the pair and and that, and that she stayed out of a sense of loyalty to Marta because of what Marta, what happened to her. Certainly. Like I say, this is the point in the film where you you have to you have to start thinking about why are these women mm-hmm. in this position, mm-hmm. and then the movie starts to. Sh- this, this is where you you've seen them as kind of a unit mm-hmm. with Veronica, you know, like yeah. Veronica being kind of the the submissive mm-hmm. of the two of them, and this is where the film starts to show you the differences between the two mm-hmm. and explain, you know, how mm-hmm. things got the way they are, mm-hmm. and that that. that of course, that definitely doesn't make things better. It just makes things worse. Yes, right. But. Yes, yes. Well, this is really where the I, we come to my own favorite sequence of the whole film, the one okay. that just blows me away the most every time I see it, is the sequence where Marta is wandering outside. Marta's walking outside. Well, she, yeah, she's kind she, of following. She thinks. Yeah, she's, 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 she's kind of she, suspects. She, goes, she suspects something, so she goes to where she knows, mm-hmm. knows Lewis lives. Mm-hmm. And she hears... The sound of boys, you know, 
having fun, you know, talking, laughing, and she she goes through these briars, you know, through brambles. through these brambles to the edge of what looks like the beach, I guess. Yeah. And she sees the boys playing naked in the water, you know, skinny there. Dipping, it's skinny. Yeah. And of course, she's watching them, you know, and, and obviously admiring them, and you know, and, and and then she starts to walk back, and she's getting more and more entangled in the briars, and the yeah. briars, you know, are tearing her her skin and cutting her. And this sequence to me is so brilliant and so fascinating because there's so many levels to what's going oh, yeah. on here. She's obviously she's obviously in a certain kind of a, a, a definitely sexual arousal and sexual yeah. ecstasy. At the same time, of course, we know about her repression and about her religious conviction and her that part of her is going to hate herself for this, too. And so she's purposely, I think, just wandering through these briars and letting them cut her is also a, like a um, in the same way that, you know, martyrs and, and penitents he whipped themselves, you know. And, oh, yeah. And, and, this, and so this, she's, I describe this scene as the scourging scene. Yeah, but it's, it's scourging, but at the same time, she's getting, a, I think, a sexual pleasure from it, too, at the same time that she's punishing herself. A little bit, yeah. Which I think is a, I think it's just an amazing... And once again, you know, this is another example of me, the film not necessarily putting forth new ideas or, or, or plot ideas, but telling them in a way that I've not seen before. Like, I've not seen something like that in another film that I can think of, and I thought that was great. I'm sure that there are uh, antecedents to mm-hmm. this in uh, films that I just haven't mm-hmm. you just haven't seen, but this is an exceptional example mm-hmm. of presenting visually something that it would take a paragraph to explain. Sure, yeah. Uh, if, you know, if, if this scene were to be transcribed into a novel form, this would mm-hmm. be three to four pages yeah. explaining yeah. this sequence and explaining what's going on in this woman's head. And yet, on screen, it's just a few minutes. Mm-hmm. It's brilliantly played. Yeah. Uh, the actress is fantastic in this mm-hmm. scene. She's, she's fantastic throughout the she film. Is, yeah. But this is, I think she had to know as an actress that this is the scene that's going to put this character... In its pro- in in, the, in her mm. proper place mm. in the viewer's mind, mm. this mm. is a woman who uh, it's very easy to hate because of the of the mm. actions that she takes throughout the story. Mm. And it's this scene. There are a couple of other moments as well, but this is the scene where you see just one, just how just how messed up she yeah, is. Yeah, how tortured she, this, she is. Yeah. She's tortured. Really, mm. that's the mm. that's the proper yeah. word. Mm. But also how. She's aware of the conflict to a degree. Mm-hmm. She knows consciously that her wishes and desires go directly against what mm-hmm. she's been taught all her life would be the correct way to live. And it's that pushing against. It's that split between physical desire mm-hmm. and the, the the things that she's been taught, the societal restrictions that have been placed on her that... Are the, the they're they're the seed they're the problem that has has sprouted into this horror that is her life as she sees it, and it becomes more and more evident. There are all these things in her life that she obviously wished wished had gone a different way, and when we get the next visitor, mm-hmm. um, the, the 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 young woman with her young baby, right? We certainly get that kind of indicator very strong. Oh, absolutely, yeah.
Well, after we've been introduced to kind of the sexual sides of both sisters at this point in the film, mm-hmm. we then have uh, Lone Fleming's character, Helen, returning to the inn late, late at night. Uh, she gets into an argument with Marta. Uh, she's escorted back by Vic Winter. Yes, we should yes, point we out our Vic, old friend Vic Winter. Vic Winter's got there. a got a small role in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, as Eduardo, I think as, I know what you're about to say. I was going to say, uh, how do I want to include a spoiler? Uh, don't get too connected to Vic Winter. <laughs> I love him, but you know, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that's actually not what I thought you were going to say, but you're right because it, and, and, oh, and he seems say? to come to bad ends in in so many so films. many there. films. To be a guy who's got the leading man kind of good looks, you know, he yeah, he bites it pretty hard. He, and hard rises from the tomb. I know, and in and in, in Count Dracula's Great Love, and yeah. you know, so yeah, I don't know why that would be, uh, it's, but. Uh, of course, if, you, if you're in a Paul Nash, you film, there's a real good chance you're going to end up dead <laughs> anyway. Let's just be honest. But um, this is the way things go. No, what I thought you was going to point out, but you may this may not have been an issue oh. with you. Is I was going to say, I think in this film that I want to say the voice work is very well done in this film. The dubbing, oh, is, yeah. you know, the voice yeah. work I chosen, except for I thought you don't you don't like Vic Winter. I thought he sounded like Speedy Gonzales actually. You know, I thought it was just <laughs> I really did. I did not think the voice. I didn't. I almost felt at times that they accidentally swapped the voices for Lewis and uh, and, and Vic Winter that they should have swapped voices because he well, sounds really, to yeah, me I, like I, a I, much I, younger boy, you know, and 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 Lewis sounds yeah, more of a having a closer to a man's uh, a more mature man's voice. Yeah, Lewis's voice is a little huskier, you know, and it's says anyway. I just felt like Vic Winter got the uh, got got the short end of the stick on this one here. On I think the dubbing, they, think they could have done because just as all the rest of the voices are so well done. I just felt like his is like you could have done a better, one, got a better one for Vic there, but you know. I understand, understand. <laughs> uh, well, when uh, well when she returns, she gets into an argument with Marta, who uh, has dis- has forbidden the guests arriving back later than eleven p.m. Helen taunts Marta. I mean, taunts her pretty. Pretty. She's she's, she's a bit. Her yeah. character. Well, she's drunk. So yeah, she is. But there's something she a sinister drunk. in her character too. I there mean, she's really little, is. She's, I've got a theory on that. I mean, I think it's just my theory. I don't necessarily think the filmmakers. Maybe they did plan that, but but. but what do you well, in what way? Well, okay. Well, let's go and say what happens in this scene. Well, okay. That, so Mar- Marta uh, is is drunk. She's she's come back. You know, she's come back mm-hmm. drunk, and mm-hmm. she's. I mean, she's dropped off by Vic mm-hmm. by by Vic. So it's mm-hmm. not as if you know the mm-hmm. two of them came back to the place and right. decided to try to go upstairs and hump each other. But uh, she's she's definitely inebriated. Yeah, and and, and not, she not does, overdressed. Not yeah, not overdressed. <laughs> Marta is not happy with mm-hmm. having her come back late, and like immediately starts mouthing off at her, and yeah. so yeah. Helen starts mouthing right back at her and mm-hmm. starts taunting her in a very physical way. Yeah. about yeah. you know her her own sexuality and mm-hmm. about her mm-hmm. own you know mm-hmm. her own her own looks and things of this nature in a very very. Um, in a very interesting way, mm-hmm. and Marta lashes out, and we have mm-hmm. yet another dead woman in mm-hmm. Nightmare Inn here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Veronica the, actually helps a little bit. I mean, well, you know, I think it's more of an yeah. impulse thing, but she sees her sister being attacked, and she kind of delivers the final blow. Although she's, you know, it's obvious it was like I said again an impulse thing, and not something something that I think yeah. horrifies her as much as anyone else. But but Marta kind of uses that as again saying like like you, hey, that's awesome. You stood up. You 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 stood up for your sister. Yeah, you, know, you way protected to go. your sister. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 rough, and it's at this point you realize, holy crap, this is going to be an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. My my brain immediately in a story of this type so mm-hmm. suddenly goes, wait a minute, are we coming into the middle of the story? Mm-hmm. Is this happened like? The, 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 mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. Then, and then like you realize that no, they they very carefully set mm-hmm. up the mm-hmm. idea that that first almost accidental, we would have mm-hmm. to say probably mm-hmm. possibly accidental murder mm-hmm. with the stained glass window that has to have been the first one. Yeah. And yeah. So and, mm-hmm. this being the second one and this being something that 
they can more readily justify. Mm-hmm. This person was being very, very forward with them and, mm-hmm. and, 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 doing, and doing certain specific things to them, very physical mm-hmm. things. And even in this case, so and even in this case, we can't necessarily say that this was premeditated on Marta's part. Oh, I don't, you know, I don't, yeah, I don't, it's, it's, I wouldn't call it We don't it get to that until later yeah. as far as where you no. start to get, even in this case, as, 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 as angry and the fact that even she's done this before. Yeah. You don't necessarily think that she was planning Helen's murder, you know, but, but so here's, here's what my take on, on the character of Helen. Again, I think I'm just reading this into it. Lone, Lone Fleming's character. Lone Fleming's character is that prior to this scene, Marta has been, we've seen so many scenes of her watching the the women of the village through the windows, you know, where she's, she's right. watching what's going on in the village, seeing people, seeing men react to these scantily clad women, you know, these women she disapproves of, especially to Helen. And she's even gone into Helen's room and just looked it over, which Helen, let's face it, is a fairly narcissistic character. I mean, she, she has pictures of herself. Well, she, she's she obviously a model, be, yeah, but she's got, yeah. but she, in her own room, she's already plastered up some pictures, all these of pictures of her, of herself. And, and, and she's got her, you know, scanty clothes lying around and she's got all these pictures. And, and so Marta's going through all of her stuff. And there's, a, I think there's a fascination she has. As you know, not only repulsion and scorn for Helen's character, but because we've seen her own conflicted sexuality, I think there's also a bit of envy there, and there's also uh, yeah. a, a envy and fascination with with uh, that life, you know, that kind of freedom that Helen has. So when they have their confrontation, and Helen again is like, as we said, is comes almost this kind of sinister character that's that's sort of trying, literally exposing Marta's sexuality and yeah. and prodding her and like and taunting her. After she's killed, after Helen is killed, as far as I can remember, now you may remember it differently, but I don't believe that there's any more scenes of doubt or conflict for Marta for the rest of the film. I don't think there's any. Which to me, that's like she's killed her demon. Like like Helen was, Helen represented like her inner demon, her inner sexuality, her inner conflict, and when she kills her, she kills all that doubt. Of that she's doing the right thing that 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 she's that she's doing God's work and that you know so that that's well, that's, that's just very my... interesting because that dovetails perfectly with the fact that the next arrival at the inn is the next day mm-hmm. after they've disposed of the body mm-hmm. the the next day is when we have the the mother and her child show up mm-hmm. which is perfect structure yeah for a story of this type because now we're presenting these two sisters mm-hmm. with uh, a classic example of uh, family, of motherhood, mm-hmm. of uh, the kind of thing that uh, they they both think is just so wonderful. It's so fulfilling. It's so mm-hmm. it's ex- you know it's exactly mm-hmm. what women were put on this planet to do, and mm-hmm. all the things yeah. that you know that very repressive religion mm-hmm. would push women to be uh, mm-hmm. is is represented by this woman and her child. Mm-hmm. Now, they do make note of the fact that. Her husband isn't isn't with yeah, her, right? But they at first are so happy with you know oh we've got a baby in the place they they mm-hmm. make their own little excuses for mm-hmm. why that might be. Mm-hmm. I, I I love the structure of this. This is a smartly written mm-hmm. thing. It um, is by, uh, another from our mysterious Antonio Anto- Foy, our mystery man Antonio Foss, who, who's Foss, yeah, Foss Antonio, Antonio Foss. Foss, who is like yeah, has co-written so many of these things, and yet we can't find out anything, anything about, about the man. Him. Who is this man? Yeah. Oh yes, <laughs> eventually, uh, eventually Elena will track down something. Yes, yes. We hope, but yeah. geez, we certainly haven't found anything. And I, oh, man, mm-hmm. I did a, another quick little search just the other night. Just yeah, going, you know, there's got to be something yeah. out there about yeah. him. Surely, surely, you come up with some pages from you know some books where they they mention him as co-writer, yeah. but not anything specifically about this yeah. man. You know, and I'm, lo- I'm looking for you know. A, a, 
25 page, you know, mm-hmm. 35 minute interview with the man and it's just not happening. So yeah. where's yeah. Tom Weaver when you need it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I know it's just, <laughs> the, the, the mother, the, uh, the woman with yeah, the baby, Norma, Norma mm-hmm. arrives to stay at the inn, And, um, uh, at this point, bothered by Helen's disappearance now, uh, Laura checks out of the inn. Actually, she has a bit of a spat with yeah. uh, with Marta mm-hmm. because she's not really fond of the, the snide comments that uh, Marta keeps making about um, the rather mm-hmm. loose women. Mm-hmm. And specifically her sister. Specifically, specifically her that, sister, yeah. yeah. She says nasty things about her sister. She's like, you're, you're nice, not like your not slutty like your sister. Si- not, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, essentially not like your slutty sister. Yeah. Uh, so Laura, the Judy Jason character, mm-hmm. decides to hell with this and checks out and goes to stay in a different hotel, which is the same hotel where um, Vic Winter's character yeah. is staying. She also goes to meet with the, the the local mayor because there's not really a police chief in the, mm-hmm. in, in this mm-hmm. small village. Mm-hmm. She meets with the local mayor, the tele- mayor and tells him about uh, her own suspicions. Now, the mayor is a younger kind of guy. He looks to be yeah. in his 30s. Yeah. And he he tells her, you know, look, there, you know, I understand what you're talking about. You're these are some, you know, I understand yeah. your suspicions, but there's mm-hmm. nothing that points toward, um, you know, me calling out the gendarmes to find out what this might, you know, if yeah. something's going on. Mm-hmm. And he he does, he does say, you know, they're of an, you know, they're of the older generation, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, they they smartly visually point out that this this mayor is overseeing some renovations and, yeah. in yeah. the town yeah, and things nice. of that nature, uh-huh. which is another. Little modernization of things mm-hmm. that uh, paint paints him as part of the you know the more progressive and forward looking uh, group of uh, of individuals, not just his his relative youth, but also you know specifically mm-hmm. pushing things forward, looking to the future instead right. of looking to the past. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whole looking to the future instead of looking to the past is a reoccurring theme within a lot of Spanish horror films. We've talked Absolutely. about it a lot within Nashi's films, mm-hmm. where the kind of clash of the old and the, the modern mm-hmm. uh, come into play, and it always seems like uh, neither one of them get away <laughs> without a lot of suffering. Right, right. <laughs> and this is, cert- this is certainly true in this story as well. Yeah. So we have uh, her talking to the mayor, and uh, that doesn't really go anywhere, but you know, at least she's let her suspicions be known. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is when uh, the mayor actually reveals the the background on Marta's fiance who disappeared on her on on her wedding day several years before you know years and years before. Now um, at this point, upon returning to the inn later that night after a brief meeting with Laura, Norma, the mother, finds Marta and Veronica in the kitchen with her baby. Now at this point, the sisters have kind of decided that. She's not necessarily a good mother. I mean, she she left her sleeping baby to go to go meet um, uh, Laura, so maybe she's not really deserving of having a child. So that's the switch. That's the that's well, the, the they, switch well, that's going to happen between. You know, well, it's that, and they hear a bit of. I mean, they are literally some malicious town gossip reaches them. That's oh, that's specific. True. That that's the thing that really. I mean, you're yeah. right. That's the thing that that really twists them is 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 that Norma when she's in town says something that is interpreted in, incorrectly by yeah. some of the town people and her their friend Beatrice uh, who's we've seen in some of the dinner scenes and stuff she basically who's, a go- who's obviously a gossipy little twat yes yes she is and I do want to mention something about the uh, the actress that plays her because no. I don't believe we've ever mentioned her on this show I did not mean to call her a gossipy little well, twat well 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 but no <laughs> she plays her well because she's a good actress but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to mention the actress's name is Montserrat Julio and the reason I want to mention her is because I knew she looked familiar to me. I mean, oh, yeah, okay. I was like, because I, I can tell by her eyes, like, I know the, those eyes, I've seen them somewhere before. We've seen her before. 
And I went back and then looked, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure enough, we have. And she's just, she's got like over 70 credits in her name, but she's obviously just one of those people that is always just a, a small part, a character bit. But okay. we've seen her in Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf. She was one of the guests at the very opening party there where Dr. Jekyll's okay. at. Uh, we've seen her in uh, Horror Rises from the Tomb. She's the, the, you know, the couple that invite them to the seance early in the film. She's the oh, woman yeah. that, yeah, the wife of the couple that invites okay. them to the okay. seance. Uh, we've seen her in Vengeance of the Zombies, although I don't remember which part she played in that. Uh, but she's also in The Blood Spattered Bride. Uh, but anyway, I just I wanted to say her name because I don't believe we ever have, and, and, and she, has, yeah. she does pop up in these films from time to time. But in this film, she certainly has a pivotal role in the sense that she's the one who feeds them information of what's going on in the town. Incorrectly. Incorrectly, but sets yeah. off, uh, I guess what you'd call our third act, or our, our, our you know, as the... So. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly the... It, 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 in a lot of ways, it's kind of the hinge point, because, yeah. of course... Mm-hmm. When uh, the mother comes back and, uh, you know, essentially is like, well, that's that's nice that you have this nice attitude, but give me my baby. Yeah. Marta chastises the mother, Norma, mm-hmm. for being a single unmarried mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Marta and Norma begin fighting, mm-hmm. and this is this is where I get really nervous because there's like a there's a baby in the room. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Norma Norma slaps uh, Marta several times in the face. And as Norma attempts to retrieve her baby from Veronica, Marta stabs her in the back and kills her. Mm-hmm. Um, in Norma's, so they start. They go through their process. This is their third body, so this yeah. is time to get rid of the body. Mm-hmm. They go up and they start packing up all their stuff because they're going to mm-hmm. burn. You know, they're going to burn all their stuff and get rid of everything so that there's no evidence. And um, they discover in her belongings. A letter from Norma to her husband about their pending divorce, revealing that Norma was in fact married. Hmm. And I love how quickly <laughs> I know it's a, yeah. Marta can turn on a dime and justify having killed her anyway. <sighs> I know because Veronica is yeah. immediately the riddled old, with guilt. Like, uh, Veronica yeah. is really upset mm-hmm. by this. Mm-hmm. This twists Veronica in a knot. Mm-hmm. But Marta, snap of a fingers, mm-hmm. and she's able to justify this action even with the fact that this was a married woman that they just killed Mm -hmm. in front of her own child this is as I say I think the hinge point if there was any point in time before this you could have possibly thought Mm -hmm. sure maybe this Mm -hmm. goes a different way at this point Mm -hmm. you realize there's no way anymore there's nothing there's no way this is going to end except in tragedy Mm -hmm. even more death and horror and Mm -hmm. Marta is as tragic as she may be, it's ir- she's irredeemable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're still on the fence about you, Veronica. Yeah, yeah. Veronica seems, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you keep I mean, thinking like, is this the point that she's going to to just you know call an end to this and go the other way, you know? But with Marta, yeah, it's like, like just leave, just leave, yeah, or like run off with Lewis at the very least, not say anything, but just like yeah. grab grab her young lover and leave town or something. Because the fact that here in 1973, then Marta falls all the way back to the no, they were divorced and that's evil, so that's why they deserve to die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to die. Yeah, yeah. it's like okay, really now, even at this point, of course, <laughs> of course. Well, Laura breaks into the end. I love this. Judy Geeson's character, Laura, she's so suspicious, but she's got nothing mm-hmm. to hang this on. She's got right. no proof. She's got no nothing. Mm-hmm. She breaks into the end that night to search for evidence implicating the sisters in all you know in these mm-hmm. disappearances. Mm-hmm. Because what and what drives her to this is that she got Norma, the mother, mm-hmm. to promise her, look, if you decide to leave town, leave a message for me. Make sure that I know that mm-hmm. you're leaving mm-hmm. so that I won't worry about you. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, that certainly didn't happen. Right. 
And as soon as, you know, after a, a couple of, you know, after the next day when she's gone with no message from her about her leaving, she knows, look, yeah. I have a lot of suspicions, but this is three, this is three in a row. Absolutely, yeah. Something's up here. So she breaks in, looking for evidence. She investigates the large ceramic wine vats down in the basement. I lo- and I love those things. Those are another oh, thing, too, that every time yeah. I see them, yeah. I'm just like, we're in Spanish film here because we've seen those before <laughs> where those just is like, does every Spanish basement have these things in these well, massive... I mean, those were the old yeah. ways in which yeah. you stored that stuff yeah. down just, in the basement yeah. because the basement was going to be the mm-hmm. coolest place in the house. Yeah. And you know, you dug out of the ground, and mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's going to be the coolest place in the house, and it would keep this stuff for the, you know, yeah. for the longest period of time. And it's wine to begin with, yeah. so... I just love to see those. I know it's like as soon as you see there's just like it's that dope familiarity. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know where we're at here. So. But at this point in the film, and this is one of the things that I love so much about this movie, is that one of the clever things that it does is that she's looking around. And she's like sticking a pole in these wine yeah. vats and looking around. And there's that whole part part of you at this You're point. You're waiting. Going, well, well, at the same time, it's yeah. like. Honey, we've never seen this. Yeah. I don't know why you're bothering with this. This is yeah. ridiculous because yeah. the movie to this point, and this is what I love, and I'm going to go mm-hmm. ahead and talk about yeah. this. And, folks, seriously, I'm going to start getting into spoilers. Yeah, now we're going to start. Yeah. I'm going to start getting into spoilers. You just need to you just need to own up mm-hmm. and either roll with me or mm-hmm. turn this thing off and come mm-hmm. back after you've seen the film. But yeah. yeah, this is the point at which watching the film, I'm going. Fuck, she's wasting her time. Mm-hmm. There's nothing down here because the film has led us to to believe at this point that somehow these women are burning, mm-hmm. they're chopping the bodies up, and somehow burning them well enough to get rid of the evidence. Mm-hmm. And as a matter of fact, there's that part, in the, there's that that little tingling thought in the back of my head, watching this film, that. Are they feeding their okay. victims? See, I wasn't to... gonna. Okay, see, I didn't know if you were gonna if you were gonna bring that up or not. You know how yeah. far we're gonna go with this. So I will say it now too. Of course, it's in. It was in my head too. You know, is a thing. Is like, but I love the way the movie keeps stringing that out. Keeps stringing without, it out. There's yeah. not too many. There's not too much close nope. up on you know of, on all this stuff. Not too much. It keeps showing us the furnace. It keeps showing us right. things. So and, show, and showing them tossing like the shoes and the clothing mm-hmm. into into the fire and all this kind of thing. But but we've uh, but obviously as seasoned horror movie fans, you know, this is going to creep into our heads. You know, exactly like, what exactly. is happening with these bodies. So it's here? like where you know what exactly is happening here. So there's a part of us going, God, this she's going to get caught and she's looking in the wrong place. There's nothing here. She's not going to find mm-hmm. anything here. But you didn't think, though, the way it was filmed, you didn't think, like, maybe something was going to pop up any minute in that? I mean, didn't that, uh, I think that's part of the you know what I thought we were suspense find? it builds. Was you know that? what I thought we were going to find? What's that? I thought we were going to find something that was completely disconnected from the story we were saying. Oh, okay. okay. What I thought we just might find mm. is Marta's husband, or husband-to-be. Ooh, nice. Nice. Now, I, I didn't think of we, that. Ah, that would I been, thought we might been... get into a Rose for Emily territory Ah, here. that's cool. Yeah. I thought suddenly this is gonna we're going to have this Spanish horror film cross mm. with a William Faulkner short yeah, story. Yeah, right. <laughs> and by God, we're going to find the corpse of the yeah. man that got that left her at the altar. That would have been interesting. I did not think of that at all. Very cool. That's what yeah. I kept thinking. Mm-hmm. Every time I watch this movie, I mm-hmm. keep thinking to myself, that's I, yeah. I don't know if anybody else's yeah. mind moves in that moves down that alleyway, but mm. mine always does. Is this a rose for Emily? Yeah. <laughs> Are we gonna find <laughs> the the preserved body of her, you know, mm. her cheating husband to be mm. down in this fucking basement, <laughs> and we never do. Yeah, we, but but it, that that is one of the things that the, the the cannibalism thing is just in my head. That's not in the mm. film, although the film definitely. Le- gives you another little thing that makes you think that might be what's Maybe happening. Maybe it was. 
I, well, was, no, no, I don't know that it necessarily is because no, you don't know, but it's it's you know, I, I I don't know that it was, but it definitely gives you the question. Right. It gives the you the question. question. I have another question too. Did you question what happened to the baby? <laughs> yes, because that do we, is cause, the cause unanswered do we not, question. Because do we not see the? Do, I don't think that we see the baby again. We don't. After we do not. So see it's just the like baby. God. And you're just like God. Did they go that far? The film leaves it unanswered, yeah. and the timeline of the film mm. when you get down to those last yeah. few scenes. Yeah. That's you know, my suspicion is that they're keeping the baby. Yeah, hidden they're just going to the raise it as, raise it themselves. Is my they're guess gonna, is what they're yeah, gonna and they're, and they're going to have to try to find a way to to. to explain this child mm-hmm. because Veronica has already expressed horror at the idea of, mm-hmm. of giving the baby to an orphanage. Mm-hmm. I mean, she can't even bring herself to say the word orphanage. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a very interesting thing, but you're right. The film never produces any information mm-hmm. about what the hell happened to the baby after they killed the mom. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's an interesting little thing to leave dangling. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course the movie's, the movie's final scene is brilliant in that it leaves the final fate, you know, the, the details of the final fate dangling, mm-hmm. which is really nicely done. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Once again, spoilers, children. Yes, yes. But th- there are so many reasons why I like this film and why mm-hmm. it is such an interesting, mm-hmm. well-made and constructed constructed film. Once again, Eugenio Martin, why didn't you make more horror films? No kidding. But this is um, an, an excellent example of leading you down leading you down the garden path. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Make, making you, Absolutely. whether you're a seasoned horror fan or not giving you all this information that automatically makes you think certain things and then taking you in another direction mm-hmm. and then giving you other possibilities to think about. And all the time, when you finally get to the end and everything comes out, it's like, well, some of this was more horrific than what I was thinking in the first place. So, <laughs> yeah. so well done, movie. After Laura breaks and she doesn't find anything because she's made enough noise, unfortunately, that she realizes she needs to get out. So she, she slips back out of the house. Uh, the next day, Laura returns to the inn with a with Eduardo, the Vic Winter character, uh, posing as her husband, uh, who has quote unquote just arrived, and they they rent they rent a room in the place. Now Marta is immediately suspicious, believing that she has seen this man somewhere before in town, and he has been in town for mm-hmm. a couple of weeks at this point, so she's not wrong. Mm-hmm. But of course, you immediately we 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 as the audience immediately mm-hmm. know that the two of them have decided they're going to go back in there and they're going to by by uh, living there for for a time they're going to be able to search this place and find yeah. some evidence if there's anything to find. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, during a meal that night at the inn's restaurant, a woman falls violently ill. Beatrice, actually, it, is it Beatrice? It's Beatrice. That's, right. that's yeah, oh, she's yeah. eating. Yeah, she's the one. Well, she falls violently ill. Uh, the no one knows exactly. Mm-hmm. They're not exactly sure what it is. But the woman's husband sees something on her plate mm-hmm. and quickly palms it mm-hmm. and doesn't make any kind of deal, big deal about it at all. But it's clear that he saw something on her plate. And that seems to be what she saw right before she had her heart attack or her mm-hmm. panic attack or whatever the hell it was. Mm-hmm. So the we see the doctor um, treating the woman. Mm-hmm. Saying that she, you know, she should be fine. We'll have to, you know, when she's conscious, and we'll find out what, what if she knows what caused this. And that's when the husband says to the doctor, "I think I know." Now mm-hmm. I, gra- I grabbed this off her plate as soon as I saw it. Now we don't see what this right. is, right? But the doctor, you know, looks at it and says, "Okay, I'll make an examination, and we'll we'll see if mm-hmm. we can figure out what's going on here." Later that night, Eduardo goes to investigate the inn's basement on his own. Mm-hmm. In one of the vats, now there are three vats, and there's one of the there's one of them that um, 
that uh, Laura did not get to mm-hmm. before she got ch- kind of chased out the night, you know, the night before. Uh, in one of the vats, he finds pieces of flesh and bones floating in brine, mm-hmm. along with mm-hmm. Norma's severed head. Yeah. Now, this is the moment mm-hmm. when I go, aha, because there was a scene, a brief scene earlier when Marta chastises Veronica after they come down to the basement thinking mm-hmm. that yeah. they heard someone right. down there, yeah. chastises her because the key to the basement had been hung up in the kitchen and they supposed it's, yeah. it was supposed to be upstairs. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, a small jug that Veronica is supposed to use to get wine out of the other two vats mm-hmm. for cooking is sitting next to the third vat. That turns out to be, and, and Marta questions Veronica, I, you're not supposed to get the wine out of this mm-hmm. vat. It, only mm-hmm. those two over there. Why is this jug next to this right. vat? Now, at the time, we don't know what the hell, why right. is this such a big deal to her? Yeah, right. Because this is, yeah. this, this is like, okay, whatever. At this point, we realize if she was getting, if she was yeah. using that jug to get wine out of this vat, yes, it's, this is the vat with the corpses in it. Yes, yes, or at least Norma's. Yeah. <laughs> so, holy shit! Yeah, that's what he's discovered. This is where they've been putting the bodies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They haven't been quote unquote finding a way to burn them up. Which, as yeah. soon as you realize it, it's like, no, yeah. there's no way you can't, you can't, yeah. you can't yeah. get a fire hot enough, a wood stove fire yeah. hot enough. To destroy completely bone? all the way down to right. No, no, you have to have been getting rid of it some way, and here he's discovered where the bodies are. Mm-hmm. Which brings up another question: Did you ask yourself, you know, how how could Veronica make such a mistake, and was it a mistake? That's a good question. Yeah, now yeah. ain't it? Because because yeah. the whole time we're waiting for I don't I mean I'm assuming that the viewer is waiting for something to combust between these two sisters you know right. you keep thinking at some point what's the point that Veronica's gonna what I saw coming the whole time was you know ultimately Veronica's gonna betray Marta maybe even kill her before she kills somebody else or something you know something. she's going to turn on her In and some break way. their yeah. break their unity and, and then this leaves you with because she never really does that visually nope. not 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 overtly but you always have that question in your head on some level. It was this her betrayal? Was, was this, this? Did she want yeah. them to get? And was it conscious or was it unconscious? Maybe even totally. Yeah, maybe it was unconscious. But, you know, it's like she never. She's even towards the very end, end at the very last. She's helping Marta because you know, again, she's just so much under Marta's thrall. Yeah. So that's the question: is 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 because she couldn't bring herself to overtly, you know, betray her that way? You know, did she? consciously do it this way or like you said does it did she subconsciously make this yeah, mistake yeah. Yeah. and and that's very interesting because we then discover that mm-hmm. what was on that plate yes that made that woman mm-hmm. you know either have a heart attack or a stroke or something mm-hmm. was a human eye yeah yeah it's it's not you know a piece it's not a cow eye it's yeah, not a pig it's a, eye yeah. well, it's a human eye so mm-hmm. clearly Mar- veronica did get mm-hmm. the wine out of the wrong vat, the vat yeah. with the chopped up corpses in it. Mm-hmm. That brings all hell down because now the mayor gets called. Yeah, the whole town's like they're yeah, all. He's, he's got he's got the gendarmes. He's got yeah. the, the soldier guys yeah. with with yeah. weapons, and this is yeah. like okay. Mm-hmm. Here's proof. This mm-hmm. is this is this is we've got to do something right now. Mm-hmm. That night, well, uh, things do progress pretty strongly because right as he discovers, right as Eduardo discovers. The uh, floating Norma's head, 
Um, he steps away from the vat, and Marta stabs him in the back. Yeah, and she hacks him with a big old axe, you know. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm big winner, the male handsome lead. But I'm dead. <laughs> and he's you dead. Know? And then he's dead. <laughs> and he's dead. <laughs> Goodbye, Vic. Yeah, yeah. We love you. Yeah. It just underscores, it's like, this is a woman's woman's film here, Vic, you know. It's like, that. This is it's seriously, it's like, this is all about the women this time, not about you guys, you know. You're so. going to have to you, die. Yeah. <laughs> well, wait, well, wait a minute. Only, a woman is the only one that survived Horror Rising from the Tomb. That's true. That's true. And, um, wait, who survives? Count Dracula's Great Love is only a, only a woman survives Count Dracula's Great Love. It's Well, it's the whole final girl thing. Long right, before yeah, it's that's got, right. it got codified mm-hmm. in the whole you know mm-hmm. slasher genre, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. Of course, this to a large degree could be seen as a proto-slasher to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. You know. Anyway, well, so <laughs> the, the mayor and uh, a lot of the townsfolk <laughs> are start, start marching through the streets headed straight for... The Nightmare Inn. Yeah, I keep, I keep calling it that. But it's, yeah, that should have been the that should have been their actual real title. Come <laughs> stay at the Nightmare Inn. Well, Laura, who seems to have waited and waited and waited for mm-hmm. Eduardo to come back, and he never does, she sneaks out of her room to go in search of him, and finds him dead in the sister's bedroom, propped up on propped up in the yeah. bed. Yeah, because uh, which is which is very interesting. Yes, it is. Now let's talk about this for a second. Mm-hmm. They've killed Eduardo. Yeah. Vic Winter, a handsome man. Yeah. yeah. Right next to where they dispose of the bodies. Yeah. Right next so, to that vat. Yes. Um <laughs> why did they take the time to cart him up to one of their bedrooms? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. Now, one could say there's two possible reasons. One it's a nice shot moment. Yeah, it's just, so it's just, just, it's a good, so it's one of those, it's a horror movie. Euro horror things, or it's going to look cooler if she just comes in and finds his body on the bed, even if it makes no sense. Right. Or is it even sicker, yeah. which is, once again, a rose for Emily. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to keep this man's body in the bed for a little while. Is Marta also a taxidermist? You know, we don't, you know, no. that, yeah, we in Ed Gein territory here, maybe. So uh, female possibly, Ed Gein territory. Yeah, I know. It's no. just. But yeah. it's 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 one or the other. It's either yeah. you know a silly horror movie thing, yeah. Yeah. or it's pointing toward an even stranger yeah. thread of thought between right. these two sisters. Yeah. So very interesting. So she finds him in one of the sisters' bedrooms. Uh, this is uh, there. She's confronted by the two women who bind and gag her. Mm-hmm. The reason it's and what I like is the movie has set up very clearly that. Why they they wouldn't necessarily feel justified in killing her mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because she's not some hussy. This is right, this right. is they, this is quote yeah. unquote a good girl. There is no mm-hmm. doubts about this woman's mm-hmm. you know moral rightness. Mm-hmm. But they do know that they're they got to do something. They got to so, do something. So they, we figure at this point it's just not really sure what to do. Whether they just know that the first thing is they have to capture her. Capture her. Laura flees downstairs with her hands tied and attempts to find an unlocked door. Didn't have any luck, and she's laying kind of underneath the the main bay window there at the front the front of the inn. The sisters creep downstairs, corner her there in front of that window. She opens the drapes, and it's at that point that the mayor and most of the townspeople are standing right outside the front of that inn, about to knock on the door and see this whole thing laid out in front of them. Yeah. Which is the sisters standing over this bounding gagged woman <laughs> about to kill her. Yeah. And roll credits. Yeah. 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 That is a great, first of all, that's a great ending. Yeah. The the first time that I watched this through and saw that ending, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't dislike it. I was at the same time, I was kind of like, you know, 
a little taken aback by, I think, my expectations for uh, what I thought was going to be the coming Conflict. resolution of the conflict okay. between Marta and, and Veronica. You know, like that. Oh, I, yeah. I kept thinking that's what we were building towards, that they were either going to have some sort of major bust up, you know, confrontation because yeah. because either because of what Marta's been doing with the killing or that they were going to come to some sort of fight over Lewis, you know, because we have established early on right. that, that Marta's definitely lusting after him too, right. you know, so, so, and also just because the, the film has had, had been uh, uh, really pretty grisly to this point, I think I was expecting we were going to end up with a finale <laughs> of a lot of, you know, flying axes and, and, and knives and heads and, you know, and that, that, that we're going to possibly up, severed limbs. I just really thought Marta was going to come to some really grisly end. But second time viewing, when I started to see this second kind of layer about uh, what did, did did Veronica actually betray her in a much more subtle way and starting to see these other threads in yeah. there, then I actually found it much more satisfying that it just comes to that end. And also the thought in my head, it was really much more in my head of what Marta had said at one point in the film about, you know, if God doesn't like this, he'll do something about it. And he does. It's like, is this one? Well, how is she going to, how, yeah. how now is Marta going to see this and think of herself because sure enough, the door opens and the it's whole like eyes of the world are the whole you. eyes of the entire village are <laughs> yeah. seeing your yeah. your yeah. guilt yeah. laid out in front of them with absolutely yeah. no way to doubt it. Right, so, right. Yeah. So, so I, I like the ending much more the second time around. I really did. So, yeah, I've I've always been impressed by this film. It's 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 one of those. Um, it's it's such an odd combination when you think about it because so much of it there's a way to have told this story. Mm-hmm. Where it's just a a tight little drama about mm-hmm. repressed sexuality, mm-hmm. uh, family obligations, um, the, the the missed opportunities of a, of a life uh, spent, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps you know, in a small in a small village instead of, of venturing mm-hmm. out and seeing the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many ways this this story could have gone or could have been told, yeah. but to take that and to make this really well done mm-hmm. little um almost uh, it, it it's it's such a small little story mm-hmm. um so well told it, it reminds me just a little bit of a well constructed um uh, it's not a mystery but a well constructed um stage play built mm-hmm. around the idea yeah. of of combination of a character study and mm-hmm. the the horrors of the repressed mind mm-hmm. and it's just um a movie that I come whenever I come back and visit visit it revisit it I think I've seen it probably four or five times over over the course of my life and each time I think I like it more and more yeah. mm-hmm. and I think a lot of that may have to do with and we've talked about this kind of thing before is that once I reach middle age mm-hmm. there are certain aspects of this story mm-hmm. that have a lot more resonance for me that mm-hmm. make more sense mm-hmm. not just narratively but mm-hmm. emotionally mm-hmm. so. There are so many visual things in this. Martin was very good at giving you visual cues. We've already talked about the religious symbolism that's kind of threaded throughout, where we have the scourging and we mm-hmm. have the the uh, <clears throat> the religious symbolism of the of the uh, the painted glass window, the you know mm-hmm. the stained glass window. Mm-hmm. But there are other things. There are other things that are uh, at times more subtle, but also once you notice them, they seem a lot less subtle. Mm-hmm. One of my favorites is. Uh, when we first meet these sisters and when we see them going about their business running yeah. this place, mm-hmm. the way they're dressed and mm-hmm. the way they wear their hair, which is very, is up. They yeah. wear their hair up in a, right. in a, in a, in a bun, mm-hmm. uh, in this very conservative looking, very unattractive mm-hmm. hairstyle. Mm-hmm. 
But there are specific moments in the film. With Veronica, it's when she's with her lover. And with Marta, it's when we see her put on that that dress mm-hmm. that was mm-hmm. quote unquote given to her by her, you know, her fiance who right. ran off on her. Right. We see her with her hair down then too. Mm-hmm. And it's in both of those cases when the, these women's beauties mm-hmm. really comes through, really comes through. Mm-hmm. So it's that, you know, hair up in a bun, mm-hmm. conservative hair down. Yeah. Not conservative, but more, more sensuous, more, much, much more of a, of a, a person in touch with, the, the physicality of their own life and their own bodies mm-hmm. and that moment in the and this is you know this is a this is a visual trick it's something that mm-hmm. movies have done for for as long as movies have existed is that that visual change does make these women look more attractive yes, it does. prettier yeah. it's not yeah. an effective makeup it's just when when your hair when mm-hmm. their hair is framing their faces mm-hmm. they 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 look more attractive and that's one of the little bitty things that Martin mm-hmm. does throughout this movie mm-hmm. is that most of the time their hair is up yeah. because they're they're busy, they're doing their jobs, they're the, they're the people that they've grown up to be in this society, the little mm-hmm. yeah. conservative, repressed person. Mm-hmm. And in those moments when their hair is down and mm-hmm. we see that other aspect of their personalities, we see what could have been. Those are the moments when you see what these people, what these two sisters could have mm-hmm. been mm-hmm. if their life or if their choices had been different. And, I, and I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say here, if we haven't said it before, these two actresses are fantastic in these roles. And I think that they yes. really sell it as sisters, too. I think yeah. they're totally believable as sisters, not just in the way they've obviously you know, colored their hair the same and all this, and like you said, putting the same styles, but Martin does some great framing of them together. Yeah. There's some great scenes and shots of the two of them together uh, that really kind of sell that even more about how much they've been made to resemble one another, and I think you can, and also the voices that dub them are, are very well chosen, too. I think it all sells that whole idea of them being sisters very well. Well, something that he does in his framing of the two sisters on a pretty regular basis is that it looks to me as if Esperanza Roy playing Veronica is a little shorter than Martha. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not sure if that's necessarily true because I think that it may have been a, a choice in the framing in that every time the two sisters are interacting, either doing their jobs or having a conversation, Martha is always looking down mm-hmm. at Veronica. She is, okay? yeah. They, yeah. Now, that may be just a natural outgrowth of her being taller mm. than the other actress. I'm mm. not sure. Mm. But it seems a little, ev- a little, a little, it seems very clever to choose to do that because that is the, that's the, that's the shape of the relationship. Mm. So, I'm, like I say, I'm not sure. They, it wouldn't surprise me to find out that they were both the same height. Yeah. But there, every time you see them, especially in moments of, of tension where, mm. you know, like right after one of these murders or something like this, Take note of the fact that um, yeah. Marta is always looking down mm-hmm. at Veronica one way or another, and Veronica is always looking up, usually with her head cocked to one Good side point. and looking yeah, up at her right. sister. Yeah. And this, of course, puts this is this is a brilliant. You know, if you if you weren't hearing any audio whatsoever, mm-hmm. you would know what the relationship was yeah. between these two Absolutely. sisters yeah. just in that visual that's repeated over and over again throughout mm-hmm. the story. Yep. So this is uh, it's 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 clever, smart filmmaking. This is this is this is a movie made by craftsmen who knew what the hell they were doing. I love the look of this. The, all the, it's all yeah. shot on location yeah. in these places. Uh, this this is this is really nice. This is mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. this is a well done little underseen, underknown Spanish horror yeah. film yeah. from the seventies. That boy, I hope more people learn about. Me too. It's exceptional. It's one that um, 
we occasionally say this um, when we stumble across something like um, the Frenchman's Garden yeah. or uh, El Comandante, yeah. where it seems to me that these films are, regardless of who made them, mm-hmm. these are high-quality films mm-hmm. that could have, should have mm-hmm. placed these filmmakers and these craftsmen, these creators of cinema, mm-hmm. in a in higher regard in world cinema yeah. circles. Yeah. These are the films like that from Nashi and mm-hmm. this film here mm-hmm. I think are the kinds of films that if they'd gotten the right push, the right uh the right notices, if they yeah. were sold as something other than horror films, if they were sold right. as what you know, right. pick pick your pick your genre or just mm-hmm. pick however you would sell these films mm-hmm. to uh, people who would normally just kind of look askance at a horror mm-hmm. film. I think these are the kinds of movies that are clearly horror movies that could easily have become um, something like uh, re- they could have been regarded as uh, in, in much the same way as something like Onibaba from yeah. Japan is regarded yeah, yeah. as this exactly. exceptional yeah. piece of mm-hmm. filmmaking, and mm-hmm. it is Onibaba mm-hmm. is that kind uh, of movie, yeah. or or um, Eyes Without a Face from yeah, France. Right, right. Where I think that these movies that we just named, including this one are the type of movies that could have reached that kind of high regard yeah. within critical circles mm-hmm. if they had been better seen, better known, yeah. better, I don't know, better presented at the time. Yeah, you can see that. Yeah, es- right. Especially something like El Cominante yeah. well, sure, and yeah. Frenchman's Garden. Oh, absolutely. But, but yeah, I think this film is highly, I mean, it's it's. I think it's an excellent movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, great pacing on it is great. I oh, mean, I know. Like it's just... I mean, if you if you have the attention span that enjoys that you can watch films from this era, you know, and enjoy horror movies from this era at all, you're going, you know, you will not be bored by this by this film. Oh, no, it's no, it's no. pace is very 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 nice and and uh, plus, yeah, I mean, he does he does a, a good a good job of structuring this with punctuations of mm. those exploitable things yeah. that keep you wondering as to what you're going to I mean, because. There, there, there are killings, and there is nudity, and there are all the little things that mm-hmm. you know a, a horror film aficionado would be looking yeah. for mm-hmm. to get his jollies. Mm-hmm. You know, to get those little thrills that we all go to see horror movies to 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 to, to get to garner. But at the same time, it's a smartly written, mm-hmm. well directed, brilliantly acted, yeah, little piece of film. Mm-hmm. It's really fantastic. A candle for the devil mm-hmm. should be better known. Yeah, it should. Along with uh, uh, who can kill a child? Yeah, now, this is the. There's some really the there the the 70s are rife with just yeah. absolutely excellent films. Yes, that I think honestly deserve to be in the Criterion Collection. Yeah, I agree. So there, I've said my piece. Yeah. <laughs> A few more points to bring up about mm. about the film before we go. One, which was brought to me by 
by the girlfriend's right. observation. Yes. yes, the panel in the wall opened and the hand came through with the slip of paper. To, <laughs> Something to that she yeah, exactly. She says, so "I'm just gonna I'm gonna steal outright her observation, which is which is pretty interesting." Mm-hmm. When you pointed out that uh, the woman who uh, sees the eyeball on the plate and has a heart attack or stroke or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you pointed out that it's the same character who brought the the gossip mm-hmm. to the sisters mm-hmm. that caused the death the. <laughs> The death of the death woman of the, for yeah, yeah. completely wrong reasons. Yes, uh, the girlfriend, the hand in the hand in the wall, yeah. on her on her little note said she thought that that might have been seen as a bit of retribution uh, for being this uh, gossipy. That she's the one who gets a little bit of comeuppance herself yeah. for being the one who set in that into motion. That's good. I yeah, like yeah, that. Because I like that. That 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 woman did absolutely nothing wrong. This was a this was mm. not a woman. Yeah. Who was in any way, shape, or form, you know, some kind of horrible sinner who was mm-hmm. showing off her body or anything yeah. of that nature. And it's this woman's actions mm-hmm. that got that's, her killed. I like that. That's actually, and it could have been because if they weren't trying to make that point, it could have been anybody dining at the table. It wouldn't have mattered who it was. But the fact that it was this woman here, you're right. Yeah, very nice. Interesting. Yes. Very interesting. Um, but one of the things that I wanted to bring up is that um, another way to describe this movie besides just flat out a horror film is to point out that it is that it is part of a really odd probably never to be repeated subgenre that flourished in the 60s and early 70s uh, known as hag horror. Uh, yes, okay, good point. Okay. Uh, the these are these are a number of films that were made like I say mostly in the 60s where uh, older Hollywood starlets who had who had reached the latter stages of middle age mm-hmm. were suddenly being employed to play villainesses or uh, let's just let's just say older women who uh, who uh, are embittered enough to make life miserable for mm-hmm. those around them and possibly end the lives of those around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you talk about hag horror, you're talking about things like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, mm-hmm. The Nanny. Um, Whatever happened to Baby Jane? Straight Jacket. What's the matter with Helen? Whoever slew Auntie, Auntie Rue? Rue. Uh, whatever happened to Aunt Alice? All these question marks. <laughs> Flowers in the Attic. That came much Actually, later. Yeah, but V.C. Yeah. Andrews wrote that novel in the early '80s, late '70s, early '80s. Yeah, so several hundred there, novels. In there. <laughs> several, yeah, but and then they're still writing them today. Still although today, even V.C. Andrews <laughs> is dead, dead, dead. But. The hag horror Whatever happened genre. to V.C. Andrews? I'm sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> question mark. Yes, giant question yeah. mark. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Anyway, so the hag horror thing was this small little subgenre of films, and this fits really mm-hmm. easily into that subgenre yeah. because we have two middle-aged women who, mm. are, who are embittered and mm. t- taking yeah. their rather repressed sexuality out on other people in, mm-hmm. a, vi- in a violent fashion. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. Uh, I've I've never been a huge fan of the hag horror films. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there, I, I can enjoy a couple of yeah. them here and there, but I've never like made a study of them. Mm-hmm. But I have to tell you that I find both the actresses in this film to be very attractive. And oh yeah, I gotta I be, agree. I've yeah. got to be blunt. I've never been very attracted to either Joan Crawford or Betty Davis, and especially not in those hag horror films. <laughs> well, no, <laughs> yes, I know, but so not not yeah. to be not to be cruel, mm. nothing. <laughs> yeah, no, but, I see what you're saying. I mean, I never, I never, they've never been too. Uh, I mean, even in their youth, I never right, found right. either of no, them. No, yeah, right, no. And I, and I know this is this might get me stabbed by yeah. classic horror film fans, but 
I think both Joan Crawford and Betty Davis were exceptional actresses. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're very talented. Mm-hmm. But there's, I mean, it's very rare that I watch them in a film from, you know, the 30s mm-hmm. or 40s mm-hmm. and think to myself, now that's a woman that I would run over somebody mm-hmm. in a car to get my hands on. Mm-hmm. No, I just, I, mm-hmm. I've never found either of them attractive. So mm-hmm. the fact that I first saw them in, you know, like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte, yeah. you know, the, the kind of mm-hmm. horror hack mm-hmm. thing, maybe that colored my vision of them. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I have the, the, fa- the fact that I recognize this film, A Candle for the Devil, as, mm-hmm. as part of that genre, is a bit of a shock considering I think both well, these women are pretty. No, and that's that I, I totally see what you're saying about it for that genre. I did not think about that at all or draw a line. I was kind of thinking more in lines when I was thinking of it's, you know, the films that come before. I, I thought parts, aspects of the story go all the way back to like Sweeney Todd, you know, the famous Sweeney Todd story, yes. you know, um, the whole uh, people. Uh, feeding other human possibly feeding human beings to other human beings within their business within the restaurant they run or right. the kind of thing that one of my favorite comedies Eating Raul was basically a homage to the, is, the, is the classic Sweeney Todd story and so I saw it, as, saw it as a film that could be considered part of that genre but I I, I never thought about it as a, as a hag horror film but that's very interesting well I mean it, it, it fits very easily into it but mm-hmm. I think it's to my taste, better than most of the hag horror mm. films that you might want to, you know, might mm. want to draw a connection to one way mm. or another. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, I've got just a couple more asides here, and these are these are just kind oh, of okay. just silly, silly things that came to my mind here. But I, but I thought they were just little whims. I had one thing I thought about the I, the title of this film. First of all, its official title, "The Candle for the Devil," is. A very subtle title uh, because it really refers to just one quick scene in the film, which is where um, Marta is lighting candles beneath what's actually like a religious icon, a religious painting. Yeah. But what the camera only shows us is the part of the painting that depicts hell with all the demons. And so when you see her lighting the candle, that's all you see, even though she's obviously lighting it's obviously meant to be a Catholic sort of thing, you know, but we don't see the whole painting. We just see the devils there, the hell part of it that she's lighting the candle for. Right. So it's already a subtle title, but it occurred to me, I think a great title for the film would have been the eye of a woman because throughout the film, if you're watching it for the first time, it was called that. And you're just seeing these characters, you're seeing the women are constantly watching the other, the other women and watching what's going on in the village. You see all these scenes of women observing things, you know, our characters. And so you're going to think that that's what the title refers to until you get almost to the end of the film and then you suddenly find out that the eye of the woman is literally literally a thing that brings everything crashing down upon them you know if this film had been sold as a shallow i think that would have been a perfect title for it was the eye of a woman because that's a very shallow thing to do you know is is you get through 95 percent of the movie why the hell is it called this and then suddenly oh that's why That's an interesting. You know, honestly, that's a that's an alternate title that I could get behind. I think it's not bad. I yeah, think it, I yeah, think it yeah, work. That really uh, is. The other thing I wanted to bring up too, and this is really just, uh, I, I just wanted to know if you put together the fact that we basically got a blind dead babe reunion in this in this film. I don't know if you oh, connected well, uh, all those dots. Uh, now, Loretta Tovar, Loretta Tovar from Return of the Evil Dead. Yeah, Lone exactly. Fleming from the first two films. Right, Esperanza Roy from Return of the Evil Dead. Oh, that's true. Yeah, and Blanco Strata, who plays the mother, plays Norma, is in Ghost Galleon. You're absolutely right. So yeah, we had a little um, blind dead babe <laughs> reunion here. <laughs> 
well, this is this film's made before a couple of well before Ghost Galleon, wasn't it? Uh, it might have been. I think same so. Year, same year, probably, probably around, around same maybe same yeah, year as is. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess I, I guess uh, you know it's just you know a, you got a certain number of actresses working in Spain yeah. at the time, and they're yeah. just going to start showing up in the same movies together. I guess that's, that's right. the way it's going to be. That's right. So uh, um, I, anyway, well, just to some of my viewing my rating of this film is I gave it an eight. Yeah. Oh, I, was that's my that's my rating as well. Mm-hmm. My memory of it was, and this is this is going to sound silly, but mm-hmm. my memory of it was that it was more along the lines of a seven. But then mm-hmm. watching it this time, I'm yeah. like, no, I don't know why I would ever thought this. This yeah. is this is extre- this is a really well done movie. Mm-hmm. And, it's and one, one I think I was watching, I can see myself definitely watching more yeah. in the future, returning to. It was just very enjoyable, really well done. Such a good film, and once again, something that I think that uh, both of us recommend people seek out if you've not mm-hmm. seen it, mm-hmm. uh, if you can live with the fact that we just spoiled the living hell out of it. <laughs> well, if you're out there being mad because we spoiled it for you, then, you know, I'm sorry, I'm I we feel about you. it. I feel about as sorry for you as Marta felt for those shameless hussies there. You, <laughs> <laughs> you were warned. We're warned. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right folks, we'll take a we'll take a quick break and come back and let you know what we're going to be doing next. Hello and welcome to a commercial for Hello, this is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. I'm Brad. And on the podcast that is known as Hello, This is the Doom Show, we talk about Giallo movies, slasher movies, horror movies. We're going to interview Cary Grant live in the studio. We're going to interview Lucio Fulci in the studio, folks. We're going to put Cary Grant in the studio with Lucio Fulci. It's the interview you never thought would happen. I'm going to wear my Vincent Price slacks. I'm going to wear my Citizen Kane wristwatch and monocle. And now Brad is going to recite the Pledge of Allegiance in Portuguese. Brad, go. I don't have Portuguese. Go! Go! Stop hitting me! You're a natural actor. Yeah. Uh, You can listen to us at hellodoomedshow.podomatic.com or you can find the archive at doomedmoviethon.com. folks thanks once again for tuning in and listening to us remember if you want to get hold of us if you've got any uh, comments or suggestions the email address is nashicast at gmail.com uh, write to us let us know what you think we'd love to hear from you and now let us uh let's let you in behind the curtain let you know mm-hmm. what's going to happen next um Next month we'll have an episode, a kind of special episode. It's a Nashi Cast episode. It's mm, not uh, special's it's not, the word. Yeah, special's the word. It's a it's a return to the Nashi Cast. It's not a Beyond Nashi show. Uh, we're going to have a new guest on the show mm. because that is what we're enjoying doing is bringing other fans in, people who enjoy Paul Nashi as much or perhaps differently than we do. Mm-hmm. And in this case, uh, we're going to have our buddy David Z. Mm. I'll hold off on his last name. I think he's all right with it. But anyway, David is going to drop by. He's a guy that I've known for a number of years. Uh, He has has quite a reputation. He's a a heck of a guy. He's somebody that I've actually podcasted with before Mm -hmm. uh, over on Har Rises from Spain. Uh, Elena had uh, David and I on to talk about Ghost Galleon Mm -hmm. and... um, Night of the Seagulls several years ago. We talked about the the, the Mm -hmm. third and fourth Blind Dead films uh, on her show several years ago. 
And that was a fun time to be had. This um, will not be. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm sure we will have a blast. I've been thinking for a long time it would be great to have David drop by and be a part of the Nashy cast. And so I had him. Uh, this was a foolish choice on my, on my part. I told David that he could decide what the topic mm-hmm. would be mm-hmm. to uh, pop onto the show and discuss a Paul Nashy film. And so he picked what is clearly one of the best Paul Nashy. I'm lying. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to get that out without yeah. screaming no. He decided to choose um, The Unliving. He wants to talk about the unliving. And you may say to yourself, what the hell is the unliving? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already covered this movie. Uh, we covered it way back when uh, under the title Tomb of the Werewolf. Now, Troy. Yes. What was your reaction to Tomb of the Werewolf? I was hoping it would be entombed, I think. <laughs> and apparently I've entombed my copy because I can't find it. But uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll dig it up. You'll yes, dig it up, I'm, I'm afraid I will. Yes, Uh yeah, let's just say it's a, you know, hey, it's a Fred Olin Ray joint, you know. and uh, uh, It is that. And, and, and every bit There was of it. plenty of nudity. Yeah, there is, there is. And uh, so that at least, you know, at least we know visually there will be something there too. <laughs> uh, my, my only question, my hope is that if this is the film David Z is, has chosen, it's because he's coming to praise it, not bury it. You know, I'm hoping, oh, he's, I'm he's, hoping that he, uh, is, yeah. he wants to defend it. I'm really hoping it's not because he just wants to no, hear us moan and, and squirm. I'm hoping that he wants to, to that he's he's got some really well thought out and 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 bring some harsh defenses of this film. So that will make it, that will make it entertaining. I think that you uh, will be be mightily impressed by how uh, good old Davy Z can uh, defend the indefensible. Uh, <laughs> So that is what we'll be doing next month. So you're saying he can turn shit into Egyptian cotton? No, he can try to convince you that (laughs) he has done so. I see, I see. Whether or not you believe that or not, it's mm. it's it's okay. up to you. All right. Well, you know he's he's uh, he's thrown down the gauntlet, so let's bring it on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So next month, uh, a return to the Nashy Cast format with Davy Z. A Damn defense, you. a defensive Tomb of the Werewolf. <laughs> that's what we'll call it. A defense or the Unliving. That's, or the unliving. that's, that's yeah, what it's out on okay. DVD now. So right. if you okay. if you're searching around and wondering what film we're talking about, uh, mm. yes, it's the tomb, it's Tomb of the Werewolf or the Unliving, a film that I swore. That I would never rewatch, and here this bastard is making me rewatch this film. I love you, David. I really do. But geez. Anyway, so next month we shall never again allow anyone to choose the topics for our episodes. We shall they shall be screened and approved by us. First, first and last, the the experiment has now ended. That's right. So thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. Join us next month as uh, as. As God only knows how this show will come out. Yeah, really, I yeah. don't know what I don't know what revisiting Tomb of the Werewolf is going to be like. But next month, the Unliving on the Nashy Cast. Damn you, Davy Z. <laughs> so, thank you very much. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we'll talk to you next what, next time around. I can't even I can't even speak appropriately. <laughs>